India Charts the truth about the markets India Charts publishes Nifty Daily daily video updates the weekly Elliott Wave outlook and the long shot report covering all asset classes It's the 26th of January 2022 a very happy republic to everybody and I'm recording this ahead of what is going to be the Fed event and one week ahead of the Union Budget 2022 So taking a view on markets uh, ahead of time has really not fretted me ever in fact uh, the best part is if you can actually get it right and uh, trying to stay ahead of the move and putting your neck out is one of the ways that we win in markets and if you don't have a system that allows you to do that or fear is your enemy then you have a completely different problem that comes in the behavioral finance part of the subject uh, but if you have sort of uh, figured it out why wouldn't you follow a system that allows you to be 60 to 70% of the time right and frankly you never know when you're going to be wrong so the only thing you can do is be as objective and as confident of every opinion that you really put out because you know you cannot know which opinion is going to be right or wrong you just know that the methodology you're following will eventually get you to 70% or more and so that's how i always look at markets and like i said when fear is the enemy then you have to use that against yourself it's not easy not to say that monday uh, i was not scared of what was happening in the markets but i just know that when you're most scared and everybody is you know being shaken up and probably missing something and i'm putting that very very mildly because i think uh, the sentiment there was very very gruesome a lot of people ended up uh, possibly closing out positions selling off and you know saying this is like the worst situation because even though last week's correction appeared painful Uh, stocks did not decline significantly especially in mid caps on monday and monday it was almost across the board there was nowhere to hide so the feeling was uh, really painful and so in that situation what do you really do do you give in to your fears or do you get greedy when everybody is fearful now of course you cannot really pinpoint when everybody is fearful but uh, from the behavioral finance aspect what i found over time to do is be able to judge your own emotions and if you can judge that you are being too fearful then what you just need is the right set of technical indicators to tell you that this is the time to be on the opposite side so that's uh, sort of how i took it like i said we can always be right or wrong as long as your methodology works uh, with a high success ratio that's completely fine and it's it's also okay that you can't catch every bottom sometimes you'll get it perfectly sometimes you'll be bat- battered before you get it but the real question is can you really hold on to that opinion because your system says that's what you're supposed to do and that's i think the that's where the whole behavioral finance and mental aspect of markets comes in now having said that that was the discussion on spaces there were several other points i would have wanted to make i don't know if everyone faces this problem but at least on android so far i tried two different phones and i got thrown out like half a dozen times and if that's uh, the issue i found a lot of people saying yes they also face that from time to time on spaces Uh, but i did notice there are people many of the speakers who didn't face that and so uh, the only option is next time i'm going to use an iphone instead of an android and if that too gives in then it's a different problem so maybe it's uh, the android versions that are you know on the edge right now and probably twitter needs to correct that might not really be a network issue thing because i'm running on a good network uh, everything seems to work during the day so I'm, i have no reason to believe that the network is causing me to get thrown out of twitter because twitter crashes it's not like your connection goes down or your voice is not going through it's that the app itself crashes uh, right in between when you're on the spaces so anyway 
that was that but yeah i'm going to respond to some of the points in the discussion that i wanted to put out but before that i also came across an article yesterday that was uh, written by shankar sharma trying to corroborate that 2021 feels like y2k and it was pretty interesting because uh, you know that's it's not an unfair feeling when you look at things like high valuations high p ratios and especially a lot of these new edge uh, ipos that came out at super high valuations uh, but the th- the way the thing the bubbles work is that first you get known well known companies that come out and list at high value and once that happens and their growth momentum goes on then many smaller ones start lining up and people start running and chasing every other name that has the same thing behind it which is exactly what happened in the tech bubble right it was not just technology stocks that were doing well but any other company that would put the word tech in their name would uh, simply do well or get listed at crazy values and get lots of over subscriptions uh, whether it was in the india or whether it was in us your us you had situations like where you know tech companies with no earnings or losses would also get listed at crazy values so that's what uh, typically a bubble does and then you have to really judge which part of that bubble are we in so what what he went on to explain in his article is that he was noticing that in the investment banking space that companies with uh, you know very small revenues are now coming out uh, for high valuation listings now the only thing you'll have to judge is whether you're on the early stages of that cycle or late stages and because sometimes these things can go on for 6 12 months before you really reach the end of the road and so that's where the call gets tougher i'll not uh, argue on the observations because they are probably not wrong in terms of what is happening uh, we also seen huge drawdowns in some of these new listings and the big question i'm finding in every media interview is people are actually asking about okay what do what do the drawdowns in these uh, listings whether it's zomato nike and so on really mean are there opportunities to invest in them or is it like you know it was just uh, you know high valuation bubble that pop for me unfortunately uh, the way the ipo market has really changed between what it was in 1992 and today has sort of put me away from it my first investment in an ipo was in 1991 or 2 late 1991 i think and that was the last time i ever applied for an ipo so anyway there are ipo traders and investors uh both types i've always found it fair enough to let it get listed wait for time and then take a view for example you have had just dial get listed and with you know crazy values at the time it got listed as people thought uh the stock eventually gave up and now after it's been taken over by reliance is actually showing some momentum coming back and people are talking about the potential turn around in that story so it took its own time and so if there's time you can always get a good uh, company at a better valuation after it's been listed uh, unless you know the growth momentum is so strong that it justifies those valuations so very tough call to take <clears throat> which is why i've sort of avoided uh, ipos in general because i can always try and figure it out later on and my approach has always been bottom up and not top down so then when you take a bottom up approach you always look for value first and if you don't see value then you don't want to risk uh, you know uh, taking the valuation and momentum bet Uh, right at the start when a company is getting listed because it also depends on where the market itself is right so if the market is in an environment where it's giving high value to uh, to those companies then they may do well for the time being but you don't know how they'll do once that uh, value bubble really pops and so that's the tough thing and will that really be a market wide issue uh, which is what shankar was probably trying to highlight i don't know uh, right now i don't see the whole market having run its course so if i uh you know look back at my own experience with the tech bubble i think once it started every other stock started to participate many sectors moved up so the hardcore economy stocks like reliance acc 
many of them actually and Larson, all of them moved up uh, through the tech bubble, uh, made what we call in a late wave terms of five wave advance and then topped out. So you ended up getting the wave one of the next bull market at the time the tech bubble was brewing. And then, but then at that time, many of these companies had not turned around in terms of their economic performance. And so once you got a correction, they all did wave two. They didn't make a lower low at the end of the tech bubble. But of course, at the end of the tech bubble, many of those unknown companies that came on the back of tech names uh, got wiped out. Some of them are not even around anymore or still struggling to come back. In fact, uh, I don't know. I think if I'm not wrong, HFCL was one of them, which uh, Shankar probably betted on. And uh, for the next 20 years, uh, it's really not making a comeback. So that's uh, that's what you really need to avoid. Uh, I, I'm sure he himself states that he says he's, he got lucky with those investments. But uh, in in a boom, in a in a, a bubble phase, everything works. Even the junkiest of names give you very high returns, which is why people chase mid and small caps. And it doesn't look uh, certainly that that trend is over. Uh, at least I'm not able to make that judgment. So to say that the small cap bubble has busted, we're still, still seeing consolidations when we look across stocks uh, in the mid cap space that have done well over the last two years. It's not like they're going five circuits down and, you know, crashing apart because they were overdone. They're simply going through a consolidation on the weekly time frame, finding support at weekly levels and trying to come back. That's what I'm noticing right now. Uh, if that pattern breaks, I'll, I'll probably be forced to give up as well. But that's what I'm hanging on to as of now. With that, I'll move on to the other part of the discussion because uh, if you heard these spaces, uh, at some point became a long debate on uh, started with the bond market, you know, because there were some different views based on, the, you know, the long shot strategist and then the fundamental top down approach. So different views that you would have heard from each of the participants, uh, both bullish, bearish and mixed because they would have had long and short views uh, simultaneously on the market. And then it became a function of, you know, how much uh, how should you be positioned, you know, in terms of uh, the alpha that you're trying to generate. Uh, but yeah, one of the uh, discussions came around, I think it's natural bonds, inflation and commodities. And those are subjects that I speak about a lot. I couldn't uh, conclude on it. Patik, of course, referred to why uh, bond deals were actually coming down when the market was falling apart. And so that brings me to the interesting part of the story. Uh, if you really watched uh, this market for long enough and heard the words risk on and risk off, the, uh, what I've come to notice because there's a risk parity trade in the US where uh, a lot of funds allocate money through hy hybrid funds, either to equity or to debt, which means when they are buying equity, they are selling debt and when they are buying debt, they're selling equity. Uh, that also sort of causes an inverse correlation between bonds and equities. So what that means is if bonds are going down and equities are going up, basically bond yields are going up when equities are going up. Now, this comes contrary to people's thinking where you would say, well, if bond yields are going up, it's bad for the market. But you can look at all of 2021. US equities were rising for all of the year. I think they made their all-time highs just in the first week of January of 2020, this year itself before this recent correction. And throughout that time period for the entire year, bond yields were also rising. So whatever bond yield based fears people would have cooked up would have fallen on their face in any way. So just because you're getting a correction now to blame it on bond yields is completely uh, nonsensical because bond deals are going down because markets are going down, you know, so which means markets down, bonds up, which is again the same risk parity trade, uh, inverse correlation. And if bonds are going up, yields are going down as well, along with a market decline. So what would follow? Now, this is where it gets interesting. Uh, if the market starts rallying from your US market and then bond deals start rising, is that the end of the world? So, uh, frankly, you have to somewhere segregate what the bond market is doing versus what Fed is doing on interest rates. You know, the bond markets can go ahead of themselves. They're also trying to price in things like inflation. 
and they are trying to also price in if there is growth and we can make more money being in equities or commodities or other asset classes why should we hang on to the bond market where returns are as low as 1 to 2% so that's the reason why bonds get sold off but if interest rates are low that sort of is the benchmark which sets rates at which corporates are borrowing and if they start raising rates in an environment where growth is still positive then us banks actually end up doing well so us banking or financial stocks are actually positively correlated to rising bond yields uh, but i'll uh, uh, add here and patik's uh, you know been been a very good uh, banking analyst he's uh, he pointed out one of the theories which i know he told me even in 2002 uh, 3 that if bond yields rise in india there's actually a different co- uh, relationship uh, that initially banking actually doesn't do so well you know so it may do well because the economy is picking up and there's growth but there Uh, margins do come under pressure and, and so that becomes a concern so you then you have to take the bet not based on uh, how bond yields do uh, but more based on fine the economy is doing well and so the financial sector will grow and that's got to be the the real bigger bet uh, rather than on spreads but for the us uh, banking space uh, it's very different where you know rising yields end up high, uh, leading to higher spreads and people actually end up buying financials a uh, very very different trend but what ends up happening nowadays is that when financials do well in the us financials end up doing well in india and everywhere you know so these asset allocation plays are also become very very linear across world markets because we are in a globalized world now uh, when it comes to investing in money flows so the same sectors sometimes do well the same sectors uh, underperform uh, from time to time and you have to pay attention to that so similarly main concern around bonds comes from inflation and so there was a lot of talk about inflation uh, when it comes to inflation you really have to think how much of it was transitory and how much of it was a monetary phenomena i have discussed this before and i'll say it again that a large part of the inflation we saw in the initial phase of the pandemic was supply chain based and that is why i think the fed thought it's uh, you know transitory subsequently because of rising commodity prices it has sort of become uh, more persistent Uh, which is why they are concerned but is it really been a monetary phenomena and if you look below the surface you'd actually think it's probably not uh, you know there may be some component of it i'm not completely denying it because things like rising prices of gold which were there for the early phase of 2020 were monetary phenomena but when it comes to uh, at least the metal sector a lot of it has been driven by uh, not just the demand expectation from evs but actual steps in the last 6 months as we've seen in the, the pa- uh, period prior to that which is been uh, you know export led because uh, china is actually pulling back on its own production because they want to make uh, their you know airspace more greener and their move towards a greener environment has meant that they've pulled back on production of various commodities and industrial uh, uh, production in, in general and so the uh, moment they've done that it has meant that demand for uh, the, those commodities from other places like india actually goes up so india is actually a beneficiary of that trend and that's also keeping commodity prices elevated very similarly as opec has done in the oil market and now in 2022 you're going to get the lowest amount of new production coming online for oil because of uh, fewer discoveries uh, and smaller capex uh, in the sector and that means that even if uh, opec is raising production slightly it's not really going to bring down oil prices so they will remain elevated so when you're going to get elevated prices and so uh, all of these factors are playing into keeping either oil elevated china's uh, production cuts will keep commodity prices elevated the interest rate hikes are really not going to bring down prices what you might do is okay you flatten them for a while okay you get a consolidation in commodity prices which you can on a base effect basis year on year bring down inflation and then eventually and i think uh, 
one of them did agree to that that there will be a back of fourth on inflation and i think that's the view i'll probably go with that inflation will cool off and then again it will pick up you know as prices start moving up again which they will as the demand environment continues to improve not just in the us but now around the world so us has already had its demand environment get overheated which is why the fed maybe feels it should step into some degree on rates and a few small hikes might not completely derail the whole environment and create a debt debacle as they want to call it an environment in which bonds and equities both crash so that's something we've not seen yet except during the 1987 crash and unless we see that very very clearly it's not something we should be fearful of uh, and so we should consider that every correction till that is happening is a routine correction so that's uh, that's the first thing to keep in mind and inflation as such will then once it goes back and forth uh based on demand environment i think commodity prices would rise again maybe not at the same pace as we saw in the first leg maybe that speed slows down but they will continue to advance and which will continue to bend positively for the metals sector so that's that's one part so that's a sector that i'm not going to particularly back off from but if i'm really asked which are the sectors that are going to do well in uh, 2022 i'll align uh, with you know one of the gentlemen that banking can actually Uh, be an outperformer in 2022 compared to 2021 see in in late part of 2020 i think september to march uh, the bank index actually did very very well it had a sharp rally and then after that it's not been able to perform part of the reasons told to me are over ownership by institutional investors specifically foreign investors now fair that's a fair enough reason and there's some pressure points uh, based on the losses from the write downs from the pandemic and so on but uh, sort of if you look at the growth that you are now seeing in most of the large banks uh, that is behind and you know retail lending had picked up in the last quarter before omicron hit and uh, apart from the negative effects of omicron i think once that passes us by uh, what you'll really be looking at is uh, you know growth reviving and especially if government steps in on spending which is another of my expectations through the budget because they have huge room to do so so i have no reason to believe why they would not use the room because if they have a tax windfall and Well, uh, you know the fiscal deficit really falling down significantly and why would they wouldn't use that space to you know really kick off growth on a higher trajectory especially since two years down the line they're going to face national election so i'm more focused on the national elections than thinking of what will they do for you know the agri space because they are going to face elections in the near term one month and two month they may do, do some small props there but on the bigger side i think uh, they have room now to really put out a clear cut plan on infra and spending for the capex cycle to kick off through this budget so if that happens then you have the demand environment on you know various other fronts coming up whether it's capital goods sector the metal sector and so on that i think uh, and eventually those loans when you have you have large uh, investments which happen basically in the capex cycle it's the large banks that are the ones that end up lending there and they are the ones that should do well so that is why i think banking somewhere this entire year was a consolidation uh even uh, wave structure wise elliot wave wise we've marked it as a abc uh, consolidation in a in a rising channel so a sort of a running correction as we call it and 2022 i think then starts a fresh impulse which is already started it's already visible on the charts which will then eventually to much higher level so i think uh, it's time for banking to start outperforming again along with uh, the rest of the stocks but places where i've actually seen impulsive structure include many other sectors that I, that i've written about i think uh, yesterday i've put out a couple of posts will uh, share them on uh, social media uh, but one last factor i'll talk about which was also mentioned in detail by, uh, by one of the other participants later on the discussion 
and this was regarding the fall of volumes you know so he was suggesting that volumes have really declined and so this entire rally is been led by leverage and i would want to step back and look at why these volumes decline see if volumes decline in a normal market environment yes they they can cause an end of end of rally but this decline in volumes has actually happened with sebi taking lots of restrictive steps in the last 6 months on the margins you know so there, there there were significant steps that have caused this decline it's not just happened for natural reasons for example earlier you could you know easily do intraday trades now they've put limits on how many times you can have a position on intraday so that sort of reduced the amount of trading you can do intraday with whatever capital people were putting up front people were also using their uh, stocks as margin in various cases and also if you sold stocks for example if you're selling stocks in the cash market or buying fresh stock you didn't really have to have margin because you could pay a t plus 1 settlement now they are saying no you should have upfront margin before you even buy a stock i mean those kind of things sort of slow down the process they stop uh, you know people from taking Uh, decisions which they would have done ad hoc. Now in the equities, many times we work with our feelings, and those ad hoc uh, decisions take place to buy or sell, and then you pay for it later on in a day or two. Sort of all that comes to an end. And even if you sell stock and think you want to buy something in FNO, now you can't do it on the same day. It is a T plus one. You sell only when the margin comes in. Then you can buy on the following day and so on. So there are a lot of you know those cross uh, things we could easily do. You know, sell options and use the margin for buying stock, or sell a stock and buy something else. those things are now uh, restricted and you end up being hit by a penalty and so for that penalty a lot of people don't end up doing that i think th- many of these measures are really the reason why volumes dropped off after may june and july and then they put more restrictions in uh, august and september and volumes have dried up since then so the way i look at it is once volumes have dried up i'm only comparing the september october volumes to where we are in jan so in january we did see a slight pickup in volumes as this rally was going on still it didn't reach the peak level seen in october and so i i was wondering whether it's a concern maybe that's the reason you got a steep correction now the lower volumes do ensure that you know uh, moment you get some sizable selling like you got from fi's the market tends to move very very sharply so that's uh, one reason why this uh, the this was one of the deepest retracements that we've seen in nifty uh, in the since the uh, market started to move up since 2020 right every time we had a pullback 38% i've seen 50% in you know smaller degree wave twos but uh, this second wave correction retraced 78.6% till the low that we made on monday at 16830 was the level for 78% it came to 16836 uh, very close but deep retracement deepest since uh, for all the second waves that we've seen in this period and the reason might just be that the volumes Uh, but that doesn't uh, necessarily entail that uh, there's a trend change. You know, have we really reached a point where uh, retail has overextended itself? I think uh, retail's entry into the market is a secular trend. So I agree with that, uh, along with you know a couple of other people who who were there over the weekend. That's a that's a massive trend change uh, that has happened right from the start of the pandemic. Everybody wants to be, you know, participating in this bull run. just because they are starting to participate doesn't necessarily mean the end game which is why when you look at sip flows uh, they are strong uh, month after month after month people are continuously investing into this market unless you really disturb that which will only happen when there's a very very sharp sell off or when everybody who participated has put in their money in extended themselves and got fully invested that takes time you know some people are just joining still joining the market and then they may be putting in their first investment so that might not be uh, the time when you call the end of this you can say we entering the end game but how big will the end game be before it pops is where uh, we can all get caught up on the wrong side so 
I don't want to take that call till we uh, really see excesses across the board. And uh, till that happens, I'll probably look at corrections uh, that are part of the overall upward trend. On the other hand, maybe I only end up uh, spotting the reversal in hindsight. You know, so once uh, some key level breaks and uh, we are not, you know, in the medium term, not making lower lows and lower highs, uh, which we have not done so yet. I think the next lower low would be probably 16.410, which we made uh, last month and uh, compared to where we were in April of last year. So that higher low pattern, despite uh, deep corrections, continues unless that pattern really changes. I don't think the larger trend reverses. Uh, we'll continue to look for each dip uh, being part of the overall upward trend unless we get excesses on the upside so that's how i think of it volumes have been uh, you know have pulled off but are still there they're not completely gone away uh, the reason they went away was uh, whatever has gone away has been more because of the uh, margin action that is uh, that was put together by sebi itself to probably reduce excessive leverage in the system in a way they might actually you know later justify that see this was a good thing uh, because we didn't allow people to get overextended uh, they've continued to invest and the market has actually slowly drifted higher. You know, you can come up with an argument both ways based on what the market eventually ends up doing. So that's all from me. The way I look at uh, uh, the tonight's event uh, from the Fed will be very, very simple. It's that if the if the Fed uh, is already pointed out what it's going to do, if it just clarifies what it's going to do, the market would have sort of discounted it. Say, for example, it says, okay, this is it. We are going to do this rate hike once, twice a year for between now and then. And that sort of clarifies the plan because a lot of media reports continuously saying, oh, they'll raise it once, they'll raise it thrice, they'll raise it twice. And, you know, the idea keeps changing and the market's been gyrating, trying to discount that factor. So once they put clarity to, you know, what their plan is and how they'll go about it, then I think sort of it would be discounted and you would start seeing the markets actually recover from here, uh, starting to price in the earnings growth rather than fearing about interest rate hikes that's uh, i think the way we are going to look at it uh, i think the commentary so basically it's going to be more about the commentary because so far it's all been about fed talk right all the market action has been based on what they are talking about not based on what they are doing of course now they have at least committed to one part of the story that they're going to be tapering down till march and so i don't understand why they will raise rates now uh, in this particular meeting if anyone has any expectations they probably wait first for the tapering exercise to complete and then they'll move into the uh, into uh, the rate hiking cycle. Uh, and if they do, they'll probably, as always, give us an advance notice in terms of what they are you know, planning to do. This is one of the ways I think the Fed has worked is to use policy tools through communication. That's been a large part of it because once they communicate it ahead of uh, actions, then that sort of prepares the market for it. You see, uh, see it behave much more normally. You really wait for the time when uh, these rate hikes become a serious problem in terms of the cost to cost benefit to earnings and so that's when the markets would really get concerned i don't think the first hike is that point will it be after four hikes maybe i don't know uh, but we'll continue to watch out how the bond market and equity market behave because like i said it's only when bonds and equities both are falling together which means yields are rising and equities are falling simultaneously is when you're in a uh, in a debt debacle you know some kind of a crisis at all other points of time, if equities are falling and bonds are rallying, it's simply a risk of trade or a normal correction where uh, equity money is moving back into bonds as a safe haven trade or what we call the risk of trade. So we'll probably catch up after the union budget. Maybe it'll make more sense to catch up on this once we can really spec look at how the markets responded to that 
and uh, what else we really have in store right now my expectations remain positive nothing in this podcast is investment advice views on financial markets are in good faith to expand your understanding of how markets work please consult a registered financial advisor for the same and yes please share this podcast with everyone you think can benefit from this knowledge